if you see your fellows Israelites ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to its owner. If you see your fellow Israelites donkey or ox broken down on the road, don't ignore it. Help the owner get it to its feet. Now, I've lived in Wilmore for 22, going on 23 years now, and I can tell you I have never seen, while I have been here, an ox or a donkey broken down along the road. And, and let me tell you, if, if something like that could happen anywhere in our nation, it would probably happen in Wilmore, Kentucky, right? It has been said so many times, Wilmore is not the end of the world, but you can see it from here. Uh, so since we've probably, if, at least if we're from the States, if we've probably not experienced for ourselves the ox by the side of the road issue, uh, then we're tempted to just sweep this passage into the dustbin of irrelevance. But this passage is interesting to me on a couple different levels. Uh, the first is, I find that it reminds me of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Luke 10. Except in that story, it's a person that's fallen by the side of the road and needs help. In this case, in Deuteronomy, it's a person's animal or some other piece of their property. Um, the Jewish law assumes that God's people would certainly, they, they would unquestionably stop to help a hurting person. But Deuteronomy also wants to make sure that the compassion of God's people reaches even further than overt human woundedness. Uh, God's kind of compassion, which God's people would naturally reflect, uh, should reach even into the lives and the belongings, the property of their neighbors. That's what Deuteronomy is saying here, to the point that the basic command is not just spoken once, but it's repeated several times. Now, now yeah, there are subtle differences between these four verses, but basically, they're kind of saying the same thing four times over. Really? Take an interest, right? Uh, stop what you're doing and help with someone else's obvious difficulty, even when that person, even when your neighbor may not be there. Even when the situation just has to do with their stuff. I, th I think this expectation here in Deuteronomy also illustrates for us just how far the Jews had drifted from the heart purpose of the law by the time of Christ. Deuteronomy says that, that Jews were to show care and compassion even for the property of their neighbors. But by the time Jesus comes along, the experts in the law... We're asking for clarification from him as to who even their neighbors were, right? Uh, at least one of them did. They wanted to know, you know, who qualifies really? Which humans really are my neighbors? Which ones are those that I'm supposed to love as myself and help and have compassion upon? The, uh, the intimation of Jesus' answer, the story of the Good Samaritan is that the Jewish religious leaders probably would not have been inconvenienced to help a wounded person lying by the side of the road, let alone somebody's wounded animal, which their own law required them to do. Why? I think part of it has to do with, uh, in their mind, in the Jewish religious leader's mind, they were just too busy with God's work. You know, they were too busy with ministry, real ministry, 
than to be bothered to stop and, and take an interest and invest their time in that kind of lowbrow, messy, you know, drudgery of life stuff. You know, really, it's, it's no wonder to me that Jesus was as harsh as he was with those religious guys. Uh, he winds up basically saying, with, with I think, just, just a bit of sanctified sarcasm, okay? Just enough to drive home the preposterousness of what this law expert was asking. Jesus basically says, what do you mean? Who is your neighbor? Maybe you should ask the Samaritans who your neighbor is. Because, you know, even those Samaritans, even those that you call unholy half-breeds, right? Even they know who their neighbors are. Maybe you should let the Samaritans show you what godly behavior really looks like and what the essence of ministry in the name of Yahweh is really all about. It was back in 1989 that Stephen Covey published his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, some of you remember that. In fact, uh, for about a decade after that book was published, if you took any kind of college business class, as I did in those days, you at least knew the name. You heard the name Stephen Covey. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily a Covey promoter or a detractor, um, although his commitment to Mormonism doesn't really fit very well with my faith in Christ at some levels. Um, and frankly, besides that, you know, no matter how good or how bright a person is, it's really pretty hard to work anything of real importance down to a list of seven. You know, I mean, even, even God needed ten for the commandments. Uh, but, but Covey's first habit does communicate something that I think the church needs reminded of more and more as the years pass. And, and particularly in our increasingly technological and, and personally detached culture. Because I think, I think Covey's first habit captures not only the message of the text here in Deuteronomy in a, in a large sense, uh, also the message of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, but it also because it, it resonates with the evangelical nature of the church. It's who we are as God's people. Uh, Covey's first habit. Does anybody remember that? What is it? The first one. Be, be, be proactive. Yeah. Uh, be proactive. Wilmore Elementary School has a leadership program that's based on Covey's stuff, The Leader in Me. And uh, it explains habit number one this way. He, he says, being proactive means realizing that I am a responsible person. I take initiative. I do the right thing without being asked, even when no one is looking. You see, according to Deuteronomy, a follower of God doesn't just let their neighbor's straying sheep wander off and not take responsibility. Uh, when followers of God see a problem, they take initiative. They, they engage, even if they don't know who the ox or the sheep or whatever it is belongs to. If it's out, if it's loose, if it's in a place where they know it shouldn't be, you know, in the middle of the road or something like that, a follower of God doesn't just walk by 
and ignore the situation, a follower of God is proactive. They involve themselves helpfully in the problems of their neighbors, and not just to the point, but even well beyond the point of personal cost, even if their involvement costs them time or effort or money, even. Verse 3 there, he says, do the same if you find their donkey or their cloak or their wallet or purse or car keys or phone or notebook or anything else they've lost, right? Don't ignore it. Verse 4, if you see your fellow Israelites' donkey or ox or pickup truck or bicycle broken down on the road, don't ignore it. Help the owner get it back to its feet or up on its wheels or whatever, you know. Now, this, this, is, this is basic, right? This is, this is so simple in theory. This idea of proactive engagement, helping with the real felt needs of those we encounter just because of life, just because we're living in a community with other people. Deuteronomy, you know, Deuteronomy doesn't demand that we have to go searching for straying sheep to corral or, or broken cars to repair. I, I've seen people spend their whole lives in a constant search for the perfect opportunity for them to really minister. They, they hang their ability to minister on degrees or ordination or position or something else. Deuteronomy says, hey, you want to you wanna really minister to people? Uh, all that other stuff is fine. It's great. But all you have to do really is live in such a way that you can see other people. Degreed or not, ordained or not, paid or not. Uh, we're to live in such a way that we can see the obvious needs around us. And then we're simply to do what we can to care for them as we see them. That is really proactive engagement in the world around us. And, and I would suggest to you that that is the true essence of ministry. Now, you're saying about this point, well, yeah, that's just common sense. I didn't learn a single thing in chapel today, right? Uh, well, it is common sense. It is. I think it's the obvious implication of these Deuteronomy verses as well as Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. But, you know, living proactively, living with our heads up and with our eyes open and our spirits attuned and our hearts engaged with, with just the obvious needs of those around us, that is not an easy thing or a natural thing as we think it is. Uh, at least for me, it's not. Uh, for me, I know there are basically two things that pull on me to live with my head down instead of up and to live with my eyes focused inward instead of outward. The first is, is any remnant of the carnal nature within. That fights so strongly at times to be heard, right? You see, the life of the Spirit pushes our, our heads up, pushes our eyes out, away from ourselves, and, and toward others, and toward the need of others. But boy, those, those carnal corners of our hearts fight back so violently sometimes, especially in certain circumstances, especially when we're tired, when we're busy, when we're sick, when we have just a mountain of work to do and not much time 
to get it done, right? Those carnal corners really fight when we're, for example, running late for an appointment. Uh, and particularly an appointment to, to counsel someone. Or, or to preach or to teach somewhere. Or to be in some high-level meeting with someone that we deem or the world deems important, right? You know, it's those times when we're trying to do real ministry. <laughs> or so we secretly think. And we tell ourselves in those times, we don't have time to notice that person's sheep wandering over there in that field. Somebody else will deal with that. Surely, surely somebody else will. I'm not expected to, to deal with that now because after all, I am busy with ministry. Now, I am not advocating for the kind of chaos that would happen if we all just ditched our clocks and calendars, okay? I, I, maybe that sounds great to some of you. It, it doesn't to me, not to me. I am not that holy yet, I will admit that to you. But maybe, maybe in some ways we do need to ditch our conception of what we've considered to be real ministry. So that we're truly living according to the leading of the Spirit and not according to the world's definition of importance, which, which tends to inflate self. The remnants of the carnal nature, that's the first thing, that really fight to pull our head down and to pull our eyes in. And the second thing that fights for that is, is frankly the voice and the very real temptation of the devil. And his, the influence that he is having in our world today. I mean, truly, he is using every means possible to isolate people because he knows how amazingly well the strategy of divide and conquer works. And he's trying to use that in the church. And he uses all kinds of things to isolate people. But I'll tell you, one of his most effective tools these days is our technology. I don't have to tell you that, that our communications technology, the stuff we can do is just tremendous. It has made us the most informed and most connected people in history, but it has also made us the loneliest and the most isolated people in history. And if we're not careful, it will make us the most self-absorbed and self-focused people in history. Um, you know, we, we walk, we drive, we fly, we shop, we do just about everything we do with our heads down, even when we are physically with other people. So we may very well know every little detail about the earthquake that happened in Nepal or about the tragedy that is unfolding in Baltimore right now or, or about, uh, about our old high school acquaintance's you know, hernia operation in Vermont this morning. I, but if... But if our heads are always down, we will never be able to see that dad whose, whose yard backs up to ours, who, who needs one real friend in his life. And we will never be able to see that teenager who, who just looks so mean and so angry all the time, but who really just needs somebody to notice her and affirm her, encourage her. Uh, if our heads are always down, we may very well know everything that's going on all around the world. But you know, if our heads are always down, we will never see the lost donkey 
or the straying sheep that is right there in our neighborhood that God calls us to do something about. Now, there's pressure upon us all, right, from, from within and from without to look down and to look in. But it's always been God's intention that his people live their lives looking up and looking out uh, and being proactive, ministering to a hurting world simply based on what we see. You see, that's, that's the nature of God the Father. You know that. And that's the nature that he's always wanted to build into his people, first through the law and now through the Spirit. Uh, of course, this is what we see perfectly accomplished and modeled for us in the life of Christ. No one, no one has ever practiced Covey more completely than Jesus. Uh, his proactive engagement with us and with our world, that is what we celebrate here at the table today. He could have come. He could have come and, and lived out his perfect life in a monastery of some kind. You know, always looking down and looking in. But aren't you glad he didn't? Aren't you glad that Jesus, uh, to, to him incarnational ministry meant living his life looking up and looking out and seeing our need and then taking the time to care for even the lost and the broken sheep of our lives. Friends, we have a world around us that needs his followers to do the same. To choose, by the power of the Spirit, to live life looking up and looking out. Uh, proactively engaging the world that we see around us and caring for the strays. That's how they'll know that, that God is real. And that's how they'll see Christ in us. That's how they'll see Christ in us, which is the essence of ministry. Would you pray? You did not wait for me to draw near to you, but you clothed yourself in frail humanity. And you did not wait for me to cry out to you, but you let me hear your voice calling me. And Jesus, I'm forever grateful, and we're forever grateful to you. Would you come and empower us anew as we gather here at your table today to be proactive, to, to live our life looking up and looking out at the world around and to minister to really minister after your example and after your heart. Come and feed us, we pray today. In your name, amen.